Welcome to the newly cleansed and refreshed In The Game podcast, where we invite you to transform your dreams into reality. Every week, we aim to touch, move, and inspire you to new possibilities for your life. My name is Sarah Maxwell, and is it really time for me to now intro my own show? Heck no! Bring in the Aussie talent to get it done. With their groundbreaking first season as The Nat and Sarah Show, the foundation has been laid for a life of manifesting your dreams. Join us as we delve into the nuts and bolts of what it really takes to bring those dream boards into reality. It's time to dust off your dreams and get back in the game of life. Are you a member of the community? Head to Facebook and search In The Game Podcast to download your three-step journal to begin the workshop-style teachings and gain exclusive access to your hosts and featured guests. Get ready to take action on your possibility. Today, we continue the conversation with an octopus. I say that because Canadian-born Susan Sly needs that many arms to be a tech advisor, a tech investor, my bad, a best-selling author, a speaker, a trainer, an entrepreneur, a philanthropist, an iron woman, and a mother to five kids. She has appeared on CNN, CNBC, has built channel sales teams producing over $1.6 billion in sales, has completed the Boston Marathon six times, and still finds time to liberate girls from trafficking and invest in girls' education around the globe. I told you she was an octopus. Even Nat said to me, you're really going to say that? I'm like, I need to say that. So, by the way, she remains young, sexy, healthy, and is doing an MIT course in AI to support a Silicon Valley company, Radius AI. And more than all that, she's thoughtful, she's considerate, and she has helped develop more than 47 millionaires in her network marketing business. That's where Nat and I were actually embraced by Susan in our much loved company, Isagenix, almost eight years ago now. This is where she has provided the nurture that we required to find a home in networking. So all the way from Arizona, Susan, are you ready for this? I am ready for this. Born ready, baby. <laughs> I was going to say, she did say born ready before we press record. So I get that we're going to go knee deep in your life and what has allowed you to create some incredible results. But I have to know before we even start anything, do you ever wake up in the morning and ask yourself, can I really maintain this level of success? Do you ever even think like that? That's such a great question. And I love that I'm an octopus. That's kind of exciting to me. <laughs> the, I don't ask myself if I can maintain success. That doesn't ever cross my mind. And it's more than anything as a woman, as a mother, as a CEO, a founder. Some days I have my moments where I'm like, can I maintain this pace, which has nothing to do with success. How my brain works is I, I say, if I want to get to a new level in whatever company that I have, what has to shift? How can I optimize my life more? Where can I attract more support? Where can I get more help? How can I be more time efficient? How can I choose the things I want to do that are aligned with where I'm going, becoming that next iteration of me? So I don't ever think about maintaining success. I think that's a trap because when we're focused on maintaining something, we're not focused on growing it. Mm, good call. 
And so you mentioned being a mom inside of all those other things you do. Do you ever find yourself questioning the balance around mothering and being a parent and business? Absolutely. Yeah, no question. And I, I, I want to say to all women, stop apologizing for your ambition. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, in Australia, one, one might think of ambition almost as a, an American thing and, and being Canadian. And Sarah and I were chatting about that before we started the show. But one of the things that I really appreciate about a lot of American women is they don't apologize for their ambition. And I think somehow in the Commonwealth, we've become ashamed of our ambition. In Australia, I love the saying, don't be a tall poppy. What the heck does that mean? Be a freaking tall poppy. Like, go for your dreams, go for your goals. How are you supposed to solve problems in the world if you aren't a tall poppy? I think that, you know, from the vantage point of being a mom, I have four girls and one son. My biggest goal is to be a role model to them. And so, yes, sometimes it is that juggling, balancing. Uh, One of the things I do is I make sure I carve out very specific time for my children. Mm -hmm. I also color code my diary. And so blue is for family and um, orange, this is the color of choice right now, um, is personal, like a massage or a facial or something. And then green is anything to do with business. If there's not enough blue happening and enough orange, Sarah, then I pull back. And I'm not afraid to say no. I was supposed to have, as an example, a meeting, a virtual meeting tomorrow night. And I just said, you know, let's push it to next week. Mm-hmm. And and it, and one thing I'm very committed to is saying yes to the things that are in alignment with the woman I want to be and letting go of anything that's not. Yeah, I love that. I love how you dropped in your organizational prowess. And I'm glad you did because you've written books on it and you have helped so many women and business people in general really align what I believe is maybe your dream or your vision and the actual reality, like actually manifesting it. So. I told you I was going to ask you questions that, you know, when they come, they come, right? So how have you found that being organized and intentional has allowed you to create the things that you say you're going to do? Mm -hmm. That's a great question. The biggest thing is really valuing our time. So if we can't value our time, no one else will. We teach the world how to treat us. So very early on, I said, if I want to make a million dollars a year, my time is worth $500 an hour. If I want to make $2 million a year, it's worth $1,000 an hour. And and it's easy to say, it's tougher to do, Mm -hmm. right? And so being intentional means that when people are asking me for my time now, especially in my roles that I have, um, when they're asking me for my time, just because they're asking me doesn't mean that I'm going to give it. Um, My time is a gift. So when you messaged me, because I adore you and Nat so much, it was an easy yes. 
all of my time, when I, when someone asks me for time or when I'm contemplating doing something, all time has an ROI, a return on investment. And that ROI is either positive because we're contributing something to someone we care about, or we're doing something in business, there's going to be a monetary ROI, or there's just a good feeling, a sentiment, or it's negative. Um, you know, watching the news or doing whatever, and we just feel worse for it, or having the third tequila when we know we can't handle it, right? <laughs> or or there's an ROI that's neutral and it didn't get us anywhere. So one of the things for me is 80% of my time must have a positive ROI. And if it doesn't, if it doesn't nourish me emotionally, if it doesn't make me more money, then it's a no. Yeah, got it. And I want to just acknowledge you for being a yes to this. And I really appreciate it. And I really got that women like you who are up to it, get back to people the fastest and are their word. And there, there is a link, you know, in business, I think that's your point of difference. You do what you say you're going to do and people can trust and rely on that. When you say no, it's a no too. So thank you for introducing that. Yeah. And let's talk about that just for a minute. Yeah. Social collateral. So in our lives, we're going to meet so many people, um, especially the more you put yourself out there, the more people you meet. And one of the things that I can't emphasize enough to be successful is to build and develop your network. And, and I think if I've done anything well in my career, it's, it's being kind to people, you know, and, and really and truly at the end of the day, I don't keep score and the people closest to me don't keep score, but I know, for example, that if I go to Australia, when I see you, Sarah, you're going to give me a big hug. We're going to chat as though we had just been chatting yesterday, but we may not have chatted in three years. And that means something so that when Sarah asks me, then I'm an instant yes. And that's the thing in, um, there's a, in one of my companies, we're putting together a business deal. It's about, it's worth about $18 million. And, you know, in order to get that deal, I can tell you a lot of relationship building, a lot of going the extra distance, getting to know the people in the other part of that team. Um, you know, I can't, I'm not going to go into details because of NDA for all the things that I've done to really build that relationship. And, and the people that one of my employees now has an excellent relationship. So if he calls this company, it's a huge company, they pick up, they take his call. And, and being a good person, being excellent, exceptional at building relationships, that it doesn't matter what business you're in. If you're in um, you know, network marketing or if you're a consultant or whatever it is you do, build a network and be a good human. Yeah, and that's really beautiful because I think what I learned from you early on was who you were to Nat and I before you knew anything about us. Cause that told me that's who you are out in the world. It's not because someone has a title or anything. It's just the thoughtfulness that you bring is the relationships that you form. And it I explains just you because you were Canadian. Like, no. <laughs> yes, <laughs> that's okay. <laughs> I was like a lone wolf in Australia. So you, you were like there for me. And I did have that sort of like common ground with you. Um, we may be related. We're just putting it out there. We are looking into our DNA ancestry as we speak. So there is a bond, but because I got all excited about who you are today, I did want to roll it back a little for people because I do always have this sense of who Susan was when she was a little girl. So were you always driven and self-motivated? Like, were you always like the uber sporty person and 
like give me a vision of who you were as a little girl. Not at all. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. yeah, no. No. I I was the um you know, I'm never afraid to be vulnerable because it's that one person listening who this really helps. But um no, I was the the little girl who wanted to disappear. And so when I was when I was three years old, my parents had an awful divorce and they my mother kidnapped me. And she took me to Nova Scotia, <laughs> Sarah. And um, from the time I was four, I was left alone. So she would go and work shift work and I was all by myself. And I used um, food as you know a way to sort of stuff my emotions down. And by the time I was 10, I was a woman size um, 14. So in Australian sizes, I'll just, uh, you know, I'll, I'll put it to how many kilos I was. So I was about, um, 60 plus kilos at 10 years old. And, um, it's like what I weigh now (laughs) and, um, you know, and it was really hard. And I used to, I used to look in the mirror and I would punch myself because I hated myself. I didn't want to be here. The first time I thought about suicide, I was 13. I left home at 15 and the, the woman I am today is definitely a result of all of the pain. And and the big thing I want to say is because I know everyone listening has had their pain. Our life is a result of the purpose we give our pain. Mm. And so when I decided to change the purpose I was giving my pain away from victim to someone who is a victor, then I became an athlete. Then I became a millionaire when I was 24 years old. Then I started winning races and I got my pro card and I, um, I got out of a toxic relationship and, you know, but it, it really took time. And, and I think that no matter if someone is, is 50 years old listening or they're 30 years old listening, I don't care how old you are, it's never too late to stop giving purpose to your pain and just move forward because all of your badass days can be in front of you if you let them. Wow, thank you for sharing that. And I wanna tease in a little bit further around when your mom took you to Nova Scotia and you were on your own really, alone with yourself. Did you fantasize, dream about vision, things that perhaps are so far from your current reality. Did you have visions of who you could be one day? Oh, definitely. I mean, I wanted to be a fashion designer. And so imagine this obese child, right? And I would draw and draw and draw these fashion collections. And I remember my mom and I going to Zellers. So here we go. And I had some money and I bought a Vogue magazine and we were going through the checkout and the woman behind the counter said to me, what would someone like you, why would someone like you need a Vogue magazine? And I, you know, I was obsessed with that. Then I became obsessed with Egyptology. Then I was going to be a surgeon and a stockbroker. And when I went to uni, I I was studying pre-med and then I fell in love with forensics. And then, you know, when I went to actually work in the correctional system, I went, oh, this is horrid. Um, So then I went into the fitness world. Um, But I had my first business from the time I was 11. I went to live with my dad by the grace of God when I was um, eight years old. And 
And um, I was raised in my, with my grandmother and my dad in their family business. And so I've had multiple streams of income from that early age. I, you know, got an amazing work ethic. Um, but I was, once, once I realized in my heart that no matter what was going on around me, whether there was no food at times or there was a lot of chaos that whatever was going on in here and in here, no one could touch that. Yeah. Yeah. Do you remember the moment of victim to victor or was it more of a, was there like a moment where you said enough's enough and I am now going to, you know, own my life and I'm going to actually make something of this or was it just sort of a gradual um, empowering? That's a great question. You know, as you asked the question, when I was around 13 years old, I, I decided that was enough was enough. And I was going to be a runner. And I was, I was always last in running. I was going to be this runner and I I was going to lose the weight. And I did, I did achieve all of that, but it was always for the wrong reasons. Hmm. And I realized, um, actually last year, so I'm 48. So you imagine it took all this time, but, um, I, I was on this journey of, you know, obviously, not just because I work with hundreds of thousands of people a year, um, you know, as a speaker, as a, you know, personality, I was always very, very giving. And I was always very, very, very ambitious, but I didn't realize until last year. And I was reading Demi Moore's book. Um, and it was, her book is, um, I have to think what it's called. Anyway, she was writing about how, everything she did was from a place of feeling as though she didn't fit in. And I realized in that moment that every decision I had made, the decision to want to rank advance in isogenics, the decision to become a pro athlete, even my husband, Chris, now 20 years, he was the most popular boy in school. I was like a super unpopular girl in school. A lot of my decisions came because I didn't feel like I belonged. And so once I had that revelation, I I took a really good look at my life. And I said, you know, by the grace of God, I've achieved a lot of really cool things. But what spurned that on is my mother um, was an addict and she was very ill and she had disappeared. We'd been estranged for many years. And I got a call last summer that she had died and um, the funeral home shipped her body somewhere, but they lost it and it's never been found. And so there I was grieving my mother, trying to figure out who I was, what had driven a lot of the decision, because a lot of the abuse I had endured as a child, I had used that pain to fuel my ambition. And then suddenly the person who was schizophrenic and an addict and everything was no longer there to hurt me. And my only choice was really love her, really forgive her. Even though I had done all the work, Sarah, it was like a deeper level of work. And I went to, um, I went to Maui. I know no one feels sorry for this part of the story, but I went to Maui and I brought this little angel. It was, um, it was like this, but smaller. And I put it on the balcony and every morning I would go out there and I would talk to it as though it was representing my mother. And so I went through this whole deep healing. And on the other side of that, I said, no more. 
I am going to, every decision I make from this minute forward is going to be from a place of not needing to belong anymore. Mm -hmm. And so living into my truly authentic self and really not giving a damn, as Scarlett O'Hara said, I didn't give a damn if the women from the PTA liked me or invited me to their parties. I didn't give a damn anymore if people question, why are you going to MIT? Why are you studying AI? Why do you need to co-found an AI company? Why do you need to do this? I was like, I don't care. For the first time in my life, I finally was free. I was free from any desire to have to belong and have to fit in. That's, I've, and by the way, I, I, I feel that in you. Like I feel the work there because weirdly, I have also been discovering this thing about belonging um, and I have an experience of always seemingly belonging, but not. And so I, I totally get what you're laying down about the actions that we take in order to compensate for it. And I think I just wanted to put out there the fact that I'm a Canadian in Australia is part of it. You know, you're a Canadian living in the US. And what I got about myself is how much I love that. I love that. I just love because it makes, it's this whole thing about I'm different. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so, and, and that's fine. But like you said, it can create these incredible results, but inside it, it's not, it's compensation. So it's not authentic. It's actually trying to make something not happen. Exactly. I went through my closet. I started, I had already started giving away like Christian Louboutin shoes and like all this stuff. And I was like, I don't care. And, and I love, and being back in the world of technology, when I was in university, I was actually coding some early facial recognition back in 90 and 91, (laughs) but being back in technology, I finally felt like myself, like I go into a meeting and I have ripped jeans and I have a, a nice blazer on and a pair of tennis shoes. And I'm like, this is me. And it's often me and all men. And it's like out of the Laura Croft movie, I'm like, hello, boys. You know, and they all know I can kick their asses if I want to, right? <laughs> because I was a prison guard so many years ago. But, you know, it's, yeah. it's, it's just wonderful and liberating. And people always say, oh, your 30s are so good. And then they say your 40s are so good. And I can't wait to be 50 because I'm like, I feel like I'm just starting to kick ass. Like, yeah. you know. And is that because you're now free to kick ass? Yeah. Yeah. And I I could have been free anytime I wanted, but it really, my mom dying was her ultimate sacrifice and her ultimate gift to me. And I can, I can imagine the conflict. Like, I, I think I can imagine all that you needed to do to like dissolve some of that. So Good on you. And I just wanted to share, um, Nat's okay with this because she shared this publicly before, but when we both did a course years ago, over 15 years ago, one of the things that came forward was even with a gold medal, she remembers so clearly that feeling of I've done it. I've finally done enough. Mm-hmm. And she's standing on the podium. She stepped down and a reporter was interviewing her and she was like, yeah, I've done it. And they said, so when are you going to do it again? And she just remembers like, you know, it wasn't even 30 seconds of feeling like it was enough. And so, like you said, at any moment we can get that, but I do think it takes some work. It takes a discovery to realize that 
we've been running our lives trying to fulfill this thing. Like it's like this gnawing thing that doesn't go anywhere. And there's, there's so many clubs, let's face it, you know, for, for Nat, okay. There's the gold medal Olympian club. Okay. Then, so once you've achieved, you've made your way into that exclusive club, what other club do you belong to and where do you fit in? And as human beings, we're, we're so designed to want to fit in. And however, in leadership, that doesn't work. Yeah. Good call. Good call around this because this is a good topic. By the way, guys, we thought we'd talk about something else, but we talk about exactly what we're meant to talk about because, so let's go there. Leadership. Tell me how leadership, true leadership, isn't really like you say about belonging to something. What is it about from your perspective, having led for so many decades, really? It's really about trust. Um, you know, it's interesting today. Um, my friend, he's a best-selling author. He's the global expert on trust. He, he went to Africa and the heads of every African country were sent to work with him for three days. I mean, he's, he's brilliant. His name is Dave Horsager and he's got a new book coming out and he's like, will you endorse the book? And, and I had to really think about what I would write as an endorsement. And, and the more I thought about it, Sarah, this concept of leadership, there can be no leadership without trust because why would we follow someone we didn't trust? Hmm. And you can think of any example, a cult even, people trust that person, they trust them to make the decisions. So if people are trusting us, how can we be good leaders if we're not trusting ourselves? So how do we, how do we become a trustworthy person? What do you think about that? How do you become that? It's, it's being our word, hmm. right? And being our word. And even if our word is no, even if our word is, um, I'd love to, but you deserve a hundred percent of what I can offer. And if, if I say yes to this right now, it'll only be 30%. Mm -hmm. And so our no's have as much or if not more meaning than our yeses do. And so there, there are certain um, relationships that I have where the, the, we've fallen in and out of trust. And the reason that's happened is because of communication breakdown, right? Um, but earning that trust again and, and being that person who, as Don Miguel Ruiz said, is impeccable to their word. Mm. So if you say to me, Susan, don't say anything, people call me the vault because I don't say anything. Yeah. I just don't. Um, if, if, if I say I'm going to be here at a certain time, I'm going to be here at a certain time, or I'll have my assistant message and say, oh, she's got to do something with the kids. She'll be five minutes or whatever the case is. It's because if we are going to be successful in anything, we have to be reliable. We have to be dependable. We have to be full of integrity. But if all of those things come down to trust. Yeah. This is a. I hope everyone's listening and he, I want to encourage all of you to start practicing this in small ways, because one of the breakthroughs I had around trust for my own word was around time. And one of the things I had to realize, firstly, I was defensive around it first. I got it. You got to defend your position that that happens. But when I actually got and I owned it, that being on time or being where I said, I'm going to be when I said I would be there. This was where I could start practicing 
trust and being my word, right? So so this is my big one. I don't know if it's going to help anybody, but it was actually getting that I don't have to be perfect with it. So in the past, if I'm late for a chiropractor, for example, I would not call them. I would like bust my butt getting there. I'd have all sorts of emotions in my body. And when I got there, I would act a bit coy, like potentially a little too cool. Mm-hmm. And it was like, I was kind of, there was shame there. So it was like, I know I'm not my word. I'm not going to admit it. And I'm going to try to act like in some ways I'm not five minutes late. Yeah. So the shift was actually getting, no, I am five minutes late. And there's a whole sequence of reasons why I'm five minutes late. And this is what allowed me to call and clean it up. I call and I say, I just need you. I just want you to know that I'm five minutes late. I don't actually justify because that's, and what I've discovered there was firstly, there's a lot less five minutes late going on, mm-hmm. but that the person is so happy that I did that because it honors them because they're not waiting around. They're like, often, you know, they say, oh, good. I needed those five minutes. Yeah. That, that for me, this, I don't know if this will help anybody. That's a revelation for me because that was my access to actually being more my word. The other way was like me hiding out trying to look good, trying to pretend that I was not trustworthy. And so I I just hope that for everyone, they get that you don't have to start by being the CEO of an AI company to start practicing being trustworthy. Mm -hmm. It's like, even with Jordan, I've realized that with a five-year-old, they don't understand time that well. (laughs) So early, maybe they don't (laughs) as they get older either, but that took me a while to get that I, I, I give her warning. Like I give her the, Hey, the five minute call. And I started to realize that if I don't actually make it five minutes, I am the defining feature of what five minutes feels like for her. So for example, if I say Jordan five minutes till we leave the play date and then I'm talking to the mom and it's like an hour later, I have just given her, that's what five minutes feels like. Yeah. Like, like just being the source of that, also had me own it. It's like, actually, I, like you said about being a mentor to your kids and being like, they're watching, they watch who we're being so much more than what we say. So it's literally like Jordan going, oh, that's what five minutes feels like. So anyway, that was a big thing about time, but I think time is an access for people to start practicing trust. Absolutely. And, and, and also clarity, right? So I'm a big believer in the right people in the right meetings. And I'm the first person to say, what is the purpose of this meeting? Because my days are meeting, 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 right? And some of them, you know, so I'll start at a meeting and I'll say, okay, gentlemen, if this meeting could be a really great use of your time, what would you like to accomplish? Mm-hmm. right? And, and just flushing it out at the beginning so we can get somewhere because the worst thing is to go, I just did nine hours of meetings today and I didn't get anything done. Right. Mm-hmm. And so I love having clarity mm-hmm. around things. Like I'll give you an example. I have a meeting coming up Friday afternoon at four o'clock and it's going to be with a very large company, another large company. And so the person has said, okay, well, so-and-so is going to run the meeting. Here are the slides we're going to do at the meeting. I freaking love that. Like, yes, 
let's be on point. Let's be succinct. Let's, let's make the best use of something. And then, and also having that feeling and not being so rigid, because if something does go a little off track in a good way, then be okay with it. But if it's going off track and derailing saying, Hey guys, remember, these are the three points we want to cover. Let's get back to that. And I would also say, do it with your kids. Yeah. Right. We have an hour right now of mommy and me time. What would you like to do? If we could do something super fun, what would that be? Mm-hmm. I just did that with Emery, my 11 year old, before I did this interview. And I said, I can sit with you right now. What is it you want to work on? She said, I'm working on my biology test. I said, great, let's work on that. Right. That's being funny. there. Yeah. Being fully there, like with her. Good call, actually. Thanks for that comparison around a meeting, like being as focused and clear in a meeting as you are with your kids. Like that's honor, like just yeah. being honoring that space. And well, I just want to say that we were going to go with A and we went fully down B rabbit hole and it's way better. Um, I can't wait to find out that we are sisters from yep. another mister. Um but ultimately that you are this message of expansion and growth, not just in your financial portfolio, but in who you are as a human being and your vulnerability and your transparency is, yeah, just why I want to be in the same company as you. I want to be in business near you. And just thank you so much. You've taught me a lot about what leadership can look like. And my biggest question these days after eight years in isogenics has always been, hey, what does this look like, like in the... 10 years, 20 years down the track. So thank you for being a mentor and someone I can look to. I really appreciate you. Thank you. Oh, you're welcome. And and if I could give a a final word of wisdom, especially to, I know we have men listening, women listening, I would just encourage everyone once a year and we're coming into a time, it's a wonderful time to do this exercise, to ask yourself this question, who is the woman or who is the man that I want to be? And what are those five qualities? Am I living into them? Who are the people in my life that when I'm with them, I feel most like that person? And Sarah, I will tell you, it's something I do myself. And it's really allowed me to be very, very deliberate. And again, going back to what I say yes to, who I say yes to. And I want to honor you and not because for eight years, anytime I'm around you, I have always felt like the woman I wanted to be. And so, as I said, you were an easy yes, because it was just, you know, you reached out and I'm like, yes. And I can, I can say, I wouldn't have said yes to everybody. <laughs> wow. And I love feeling special. So it's my love language, words of affirmation. So thank you. Truly, truly. <laughs> It's not Nats, by the way. So that that um, took some discovering around that one. I know what hers is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, hers is harder in my view to fulfill yes. on. But um, 20 years later, we're doing our we're doing our best. Um, much love to you. Thank you. And um, I hope Arizona is nice and desert-like for you. <laughs> much love to you too. Mwah. Take care. Take care. We so appreciate you listening to the show. Don't forget to join the community on Facebook by searching In The Game Podcast. 
There you can download your three-step journal and participate in our weekly live video chats. Hold on, hold on, hold on. You've got to rate and review the show. And I know all the podcasts are always asking this. And in the past, I wasn't doing it. And the reason I wasn't doing it is because I actually didn't know how to do it. So open your podcast player and click on our show from your library, not the listen now. That's where I was going wrong in the past. So now that you know how to do it, when you go there, make sure you give us a five-star review. Five stars, five stars, five stars. And then click on write a review link to actually write a review so that you can tell other people that we're legit and even funny, maybe a bit serious. So if you want to recommend this to someone, you have to put your fingers on the keys and send us a review.